Well, we are on week three of our series that we're calling Heads or Tails. Week three of a series called Heads or Tails, and I'm, I'm excited about this series. I think it's a, a, it's a great opportunity to tip over a sacred cow. Um, you know, it's important to tip over sacred cows from time to time, where there's a particular misconception about what it means to be a Christian, a particular misconception about uh, what it means to, to follow Christ. And uh, we want to tip over those misconceptions. We want to be able to see the truth for what it is. And uh, this, I think, is a very important thing because you know that you're more than conquerors, right? Have you read that in the Bible? We're more than conquerors. But doesn't it seem like that to be a good Christian, you just need to be quiet and take whatever abuse is handed to you? Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of seem like the, the essence of Christian goodness is to just be quiet and take it? I'm not sure that's exactly right. Now, there is a time to turn the other cheek, amen? We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. There is a time when you say, hey, why not rather be wronged? Hey, I'll, I'll yield to you. You want to you wanna do something? Fine. But it's more like letting a, a three-year-old win at checkers than it is like being beaten down. It's more like that. And if you, if you are interested in that and you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, those are on the internet, goodhope.ag. You can listen to messages one and two. But here's our verse that we're going off of in Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13 says this, The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Is that, is that what you think of when you think of serving Christ? Yeah, I'll be, at, I'll be the head, not the tail. I'll be at the top, not at the bottom. Is that what you, no, not at all. We think about taking that position of, of Christ, washing the disciples' feet, taking that position as a slave. But when Jesus did that, he wasn't going beneath the disciples. He was doing something much more noble. He was doing something very powerful. And so we need to understand and reconcile this thing of turning the other cheek and, uh, and taking the place of a servant and putting other people in front and being the head and not the tail, being on top, not on the bottom. You're more than conquerors, remember? More than conquerors. If we're more than conquerors, then we don't belong on the bottom. If we're more than conquerors, we don't belong getting drug around with other people and other forces moving us in, into places we don't want to go. So, this is an amazing promise that we can be the head, not the tail. Of course, this was given to the nation of Israel, not to an individual person. And uh, we talked about that last week, where if... If this nation that was taking the promised land, if to every man, woman, and child they followed the Ten Commandments, there was 
No stealing. There was no idolatry. Everybody loved God and followed God and kept the Sabbath. And there was no, not a single murder in the entire nation ever. Not a single theft in the entire nation ever. Not a single lie or false accusation. There was always people honoring their mother and father. And there were no broken homes, no adultery, none of that. What would that nation be like? Would it be the head or the tail? It would be the head. Would it be on top or on the bottom? It would be on the top. It would be a strong, powerful nation. That's true today. And there are personal, individual applications that we can make from this particular verse, from this particular concept, because we have the New Testament uh, correlation to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus basically brings the Ten Commandments into that level of fulfillment, into the next place where it's not just enough to keep from murdering people, you have to not want to murder them. That's a big step. Have you ever, like, refrained from murdering somebody? Or I should uh, just be nicer, refrain from punching somebody in the nose? It's one thing to refrain, it's another thing to not want to. It's another thing to love that person. It's another thing to have in your heart the compassion of God towards that person who has just done a bunch of things that make you want to punch him in the nose. That's the fulfillment of the law, is to have a heart that doesn't want to damage. And a heart that doesn't want to commit adultery. And a heart that doesn't want other people's stuff. And a heart that is after God. That's the the New Testament promise that Jesus makes after that is he says, if you if you have heard this and you do it, you'll be building your house on a rock. When the storms come, the wind blows, your house is going to stand. But Jesus also says, if you've heard all these things and you don't do them, it's like building your house on sand. The storms will come and the house will fall with a great crash. The promise is, if we know what God wants us to do, but we don't do it, the promise is the house will crash. The house will fall. I think we've got a confused idea of what grace is. I'm going to just keep saying this for probably months till everybody understands it. The misconception in our culture of what grace is, I think people falsely believe that grace is that I deserve all of the benefits of following Christ without actually having to follow Christ. That I should get everything that a devoted follower of Christ gets, even though I'm not devotedly following Christ. Even though I know I should do that, I don't, but I want all the rewards. I want my house on the rock. I don't want it falling down. But I'm certainly not going to do the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's, that's not going to work, is it? The promise is the house will fall. This promise has an if in it. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If. You've got to pay close attention to the ifs. Because they mean that there's there's a fork in the road. And you can either be the head or you can be the tail, but it's up to you. 
Don't refuse the if and then blame God when you end up being the tail. Don't refuse what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and then blame God when the house falls down. Jesus didn't say, if you think I'm real but you ignore my commandments, your house will stand. He said, if you ignore this, the house will fall. So, are you properly motivated? Because if we understand, we have a great opportunity in front of us. Because we're not just getting squashed, we're not just the tail, we're not just at the bottom all the time because we're Christians, so we're just going to get smushed. If we realize, you know what, the opportunity is here to be the head, not the tail. The opportunity is here to be on the top, not the bottom. The opportunity is here that we can have our feet firmly planted on the rock, not on sand, and we will withstand the storm. That's exciting. Because everybody knows the storms will come. Storms have come in the past for every one of us. And storms will come in the future. The question is, where are your feet? How have you built your house? Today, we are going to go into, as we're discussing this being the head and not the tail, I think so many times people have misconceptions and misunderstandings of things. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about false masters. We're going to talk about false masters. You know, when uh, when God says here, I will make you the head, not the tail, did He mean to the nation of Israel, so you don't need me anymore because you're at the top of the food chain. You, you, we, we don't need God anymore. Is that what this means in Deuteronomy? No. We submit ourselves to Christ and He lifts us up. Jesus is my head. Jesus is my master. Jesus is my Lord. But He doesn't make me the tail. He doesn't push me to the bottom. He doesn't uh, subjugate me and repress me. He brings me up into the fullness of who I am. So Jesus as my head brings me into a place of headship as well. It elevates me. It does not push me down. Because Jesus is that kind of master. He is good. He's on my side. In fact, He likes me. He likes me more than he should. And he likes you more than he should. That's good news. I'm real happy about that. Because if he wanted a reason to condemn me, he sure could. I stand by the grace of God. He likes me more than he should. He's made a way for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's true for us all. There are masters, though, that push you down. There are leaders, there are heads of our life that don't make our lives better, but they make our lives worse. There are things we follow. If, if you don't follow Christ, you're following something. Something is guiding your decision making. It could be just, hey, I do what I want. Well, then you're your own God. You're your own head. And we'll see where that takes you. (laughs) 
You're following something. Even when you try to follow Christ, you can end up following other things. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever felt the tension? I know God wants me to do this. But there's that over there. Have you felt that tension? Even when you are trying to follow Christ, sometimes we end up following something else. This can happen because that other thing just has a good grip on us. Or it can happen because we're sort of fooled and we don't realize what's going on. And so what we're endeavoring to do today is isolate a few of these false masters, these heads that push us down, that are very, very bad substitutes for the living God. We want to isolate a few of these. And of course, there's way more than what we can cover today. Each one of us deals with different issues. And of course, we can follow Christ for a while, and then all of a sudden, ah, we end up going back the other way. And so we need to, we need to recognize these things so that we can protect ourselves from backsliding and failing God and ending up with our house crashing down and ending up being the tail, ending up being on the bottom. So, what are some false masters? We'll go uh, to Luke chapter 16. Jesus makes this very, very clear. Luke 16, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So, what was the head of the Pharisees? What was the master of the Pharisees? They preferred money. Isn't it amazing? I've thought to myself, wouldn't it have been great to live in Jesus' day? To be in the crowd. To be to be trying to climb the tree and there's Zacchaeus, you know, and he's up a little higher and Jesus notices, notices him, but I got to see Jesus too, you know, and, and to, to be at these places and hear the teachings of Christ and wouldn't that be awesome? They were there. These are people that believe in Jehovah God. These are people that believe that the promise of Deuteronomy 28.13 is for them. These are people who believe in angels and demons in the afterlife and they heard Jesus and sneered at Him. Boy, you got to have your heart in the right place to benefit from the truth. If you have two masters that you're trying to serve, it's not just going to work out. Can you serve two masters? Let me get get you interacting here. Can you serve two masters? Do it again. Can you serve two masters? No. No. So let's quit trying. Because what Jesus is saying here is, you can try, but you'll fail. And it's futile. It's not going to work. How many people try to serve Jesus and money at the same time? Now, Money is a great servant. Horrible master. Evil master. Great servant. Money is a real good servant. 
but it's a bad master. In fact, if you don't have any money, finances make most of your decisions for you, don't they? So not having any money can make money your master. People think it goes the other way. If you can't do something because you don't have any money, where's the decision being made from? Money's making that decision. For us to have money be our servant, we need to have some. In fact, do you have Deuteronomy uh, 28.12 there, Seth? Look at this. This is the, the verse right before the big, like, you'll be the head, not the tail. It says, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will lend to many nations because money is not your head. Money is your servant. And it's not pushing you around, but you're able to use it to to lend to people. You're able to use it to uh, advance the kingdom of God. You're able to use it. We should be masters of money, not servants of money. It can be done. But money is definitely a master that people serve. All right. So, you can't, too, you can't serve two masters. Have you ever been frustrated in your Christian life? Just kind of difficult. Most of the time that comes because we're trying to serve sometimes six or seven masters. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you believe that? Or isn't just the Christian life hard? It's hard. You know, but don't people say that? Oh yeah, it's hard. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the assumption is, is that you put the other yokes down. If you're carrying the big money yoke and you want to put the Jesus yoke on top of that, it doesn't make it lighter. You've got to take this one off. And if you've got, you know, all these other things, what other people think of me, you've got to take that one off. All these other things that I've got on the list that I'm not going to say yet. You've got to take those yokes off. And just have the one. You can manage one master when that master is good. And that master lifts you up. So, false master number one, money. Again, great servant. Evil master. Let's look at a couple... More false masters from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verses 13. Oh, sweet! No, the cantina song is great. I love that. I got that dude with the squished face in my mind. Oh, good memories, man. Guido is going down. All right. Love that. Isn't it terrible how they remade episode four into something completely different? I just. Oh, yeah. Han Solo, like, shot Guido, not in self defense. 
They added him shooting first. Did you see that? It's terrible. Is there nothing pure left in this world? Used to be a big Star Wars fan. Sorry, I had a little geek moment there. Sorry. All right, here we go. I'm a total geek, though. It's good. It's good to be a geek. All right. I once preached on the difference between Vulcans and Romulans. You know, because they're the same, you know, they've got the same genetic code, but the one went logical and the other one went emotional, you know. And I did in church I did that. Yay. All right. Romans. Romans 8. We're going to look for two false masters. Two masters that we don't want to be under. In Romans 8, 13 through 15. Here we go. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The first sentence there gives us a bad master. If you live according, whatever you live according to is the thing that's guiding you, is the thing that's your master, the thing that you're following. If you live according to the sinful nature, does it work out well for you if you live according to the sinful nature? No, it says you will die. That's bad. Whatever exactly that means. We could have a big theological discussion and try to figure out what it means when it says in the Bible that you're going to die, but it's bad. And Romans was written to believers. Look at the beginning, the little salutations. It was written to believers. It was written to the church. And Paul says, inspired by the Spirit, the Word of God, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Is the promise that we can live according to the sinful nature and everything will be fine? No, that's just not how it goes. If we're going to follow Christ, we need to follow Christ. The sinful nature is a bad, false master. Do people live according to the sinful nature? Oh my, have we ever felt that pull? Have you ever felt the pull? Just fast one day. Fast one day. Your stomach will be like, you need to give up on that promise you made. You need, you need a cupcake. You know? There, you'll be able to tell real easy. You know, because while you're eating supper and you think, yeah, I'll fast tomorrow. That's a great idea. It, it just seems easy. And then you go a few days and you're like, oh. Actually, the second, third day are pretty easy, but the first day is the hard day. You can feel that pull between, I know God wants me to live like this, but oh wow. Can I just do this for a little bit and then get forgiven? Isn't that, isn't that good? I'll do that. What's the promise? If you, live, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Is that a head that lifts you up or a head that pushes you down? That is a destructive, bad, bad head. 
We don't want to live according to the sinful nature. And in case we're confused as to what the sinful nature is, we can go to Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. makes it extremely clear. So here's what the sinful nature is. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, we don't want to live like that. The sinful nature is a bad master. You can't let that stuff be your master because the sinful nature as your master just makes a fool of you. It seems like a good thing. You know, like the leech looks real good to the walleye. And it's even got a, some kind of orange thing on the front of it. That's got to be even better. Well, it was just bait. Looked good, but there was a hook in it. It's the same thing with the sinful nature. Some of these things are distortions of good things. I don't know how candid I need to be in here, but some of these things are distortions of God-made, God-intended, wonderful things. But turned into sin is bad. We don't want to follow the sinful nature. Back to uh, Romans 8. At the bottom there, verse 15, it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. A slave has a master. Who is the master in this verse? A slave again to fear. Is fear a master that will lift you up or push you down? Fear is a bad master. Now, does sometimes the Holy Spirit warn you about things? Yeah, that's not what this is talking about. (laughs) That's a good thing. Where you're like, oh my, I better not go in there. That Listen to that. That's your conscience. Listen to it. That's the leading of the Spirit. Listen to that. But you know what this is. Fear. Have you been debilitated by fear? Have you been in a situation where you know what you're supposed to do, but you're afraid? So it changes your path. You know you're supposed to go that way, but fear makes you go this way. What master are you following? You're following fear. I have been there. Everybody thinks I'm an extrovert. (laughs) I am very much an introvert. And now, fortunately, not so much uh, social anxiety or whatever, but when I was a kid, man, if I could not be seen for a couple weeks at a time, that was great. I didn't need anybody to care about me. I just wanted to be away and not have anybody notice that I was there. That was great. But it wasn't leading me in a good direction. Something to overcome. Fear. Yeah. All right. I better keep moving here. 
Don't feel guilty about being afraid. Okay, because now you got two problems. You had fear and guilt. Just don't do what it tells you. If you know God wants you to do this and you're afraid, so you're pulled to go another direction, just go that way. Say, fear, I refuse to listen to you. I am going the other way. Fear is a bad master. Do not let it guide you. Now, have you noticed with fear, because like with the sinful nature, we sort of think like, it's my choice. I can do the good thing. I can do the bad thing. It's up to me. But when it comes to fear, doesn't it grip you? And it's less... Jesus says, have no fear or don't fear. He says that like 20 times. I don't know exactly how many. It's a command. Quit fearing. He'd get mad at people for being afraid. But is it really a choice? I mean, aren't you just like afraid? And you, you, can you choose? Okay, I won't be afraid. Sorry, I never thought of that. I guess I'll not be afraid. Uh, it's not so much a choice, right? I mean, you're gripped by this thing. So it's less of like... Should I steal the cookie or not? It's less of a decision. It's more of conquering a mountain. It's more of a fight. God calls us into fights. He calls us into battles. We have to wage war against the fear that wants to pull us away from God. It's a fight. We have to, we have to fight the good fight of the faith. All right, let's talk a little bit about the lie genre of bad masters. You know, there are bad masters that will just lie. You think you're in control, but you're not. I heard a, uh, an addict say, addicts are control freaks. I thought, how's that? in control of nothing. I mean, if, if whatever it is owns you, it doesn't matter if it's uh, drugs or pornography, or if, if, if something owns you, you are not in control. You are not a control freak. You are controlled. You are not making the decisions. The things are pulling you. That's not control. Thinking you're in control is a lie. So there's a whole genre of false... Masters that are lies. False master number four. So we've already had money, the sinful nature, and fear. The fourth one is offense. The sense of feeling offended by something. Have you ever had the course of your life changed by a feeling of offense? I was going this way. Now I feel offended. I'm going this way. What are you following then? What is your master? What is the head of you? And does it lift you up or does it push you down? What if nobody in church was led by offense? What would it what would that be like? Wouldn't that be a nice world to live in? I could preach meaner. (laughs) 
when you're offended, you feel like you're sticking it to them. Oh yeah, well I'm gonna, I'm just gonna get out of here. I'm just gonna do this. You feel like you're sticking it to them, and you're just getting pushed in the mud by a false master that is is crushing you. Don't let offense be your master. Number five, hurts or wounds, damage from your past. Well, my father, well, my mother, oh, my boss, my pastor. You feel justified in changing the course of your life because of a hurt. But why would you let a hurt or a wound change the direction that you're going? Don't serve that. Don't follow that. That's not going to make you the head. That's going to put you on top. That puts you on the bottom. Now, is there there's some depth to these things. You know, it's not just like a three-minute sermon and all of a sudden I guess we're good. You've got to work through stuff. You see, it's a fight. It's a process. The last one I want to talk about, and again, I'm just throwing some stuff out there. You guys know what, what's pulling you. You need to look in your own heart and see what is a false master I didn't realize was there. What's something that's leading me and guiding me that I didn't realize? The last one I'm going to talk about is false saviors. I'll try to do this best I can. Have you ever been in fifth grade and you had a big assignment due or you had a big test the next day and you weren't ready and you needed to be saved from this situation? What did you do to get saved, to be set free? What did you do? What did you want to have happen? I can think of two things I wanted. I wanted to be deathly ill and I wanted a snowstorm. Two things. Now, well, if you live up north, you know, a snowstorm gets me out of everything. But here's the deal. This is, this is a kind of another layer of it. If I need salvation from uh, the pressures of life, and so I cry out for sickness, Is that going to be a long-term positive thing? No. That's opening a door you don't want to open. You know, not to get too funny about that, but that's, you're opening a door you don't want to open. It, I mean, seriously, how many people have faked an illness to get out of something? Everybody else is just pretending. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I mean, that's a, you know all the tricks. You take the thermometer up to the light, you know, all that stuff, like 103, you know. Like, oh, 108, you shake it a little bit. You don't want to go to the ER, you know. But you pray to be sick. Oh, please, fever, come. I need your help. What if the devil heard you? This is so universal. We all seek after the excuse. 
to not succeed. That's a false savior. It's a false rescuer. Our God is a God of overcoming. Our God is a God that says, when you stand in front of the mountain, you say to that mountain, you, you be cast into the sea. Don't say, well, I'm not feeling good. So, and then the mountain's in the way. So, uh. We shouldn't look for excuses. We should look to be more than conquerors. We should look to be the head, not the tail. We should look to be standing on the rock and to overcome. We're going to close. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. But can you see that you're better off putting your life in the hands of a loving God than letting fear be your master, letting money be your master, letting the sinful nature be your master, letting uh, offense or false saviors or hurts be your master? You're better off in the hands of a loving God that lifts you up. So let's close in prayer. And after I pray, you can come down for individual personal prayer. You need prayer, so come down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You, Lord, that, that when we fall down, You don't push us down farther. You lift us up. What a glorious thing that is. We thank You, Lord, that when we submit our lives to You, we are doing the best thing for us we can possibly do. So Lord, help us not just to know Your Word, but to do it. Not just to, to feel a pull towards You, but to walk into it. To live our lives for You. Let us not serve two masters in that futile attempt to somehow get something good from one of those evil masters. But let us realize the lie that that is and serve You and serve You only and serve You fully. I pray Your blessing upon each one in this place. I pray your strength, and I pray eyes that would be open to be able to see the deception of the enemy so that we can walk free and that we can serve you and not be pulled down, that we can receive the great promises of your word. So bless us, encourage us, and give us strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.